Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, as we continue in our series today, we are wrapping up our hope series. We're not done with hope. Hope will continue and hope is alive. But today we're wrapping it up. And I want to start off by kind of just asking this question of all of you. And here's the question. Have you ever walked into a place hoping to connect, but as you walk in there and you experience the room, something just seems a little bit off? Hopefully that's not happening right now. But you walk into a room, everything's off. It's just it's hard to connect. There, there seems to be fighting going on. There seems to be just this, uh, this unspoken undertone where you're trying to connect and you really can't quite connect. And, and as, as badly as you want to connect with a group, there seems to be this wall, this barrier that goes up. And it's not just because you're Canadian, you know, even though you keep telling yourself that. But there's this wall that keeps coming up. And as much as you want, you just feel the urge to run away. Now compare that with you walk into a different room and you just you sense love in that room, you sense connection in that room, you, 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 you sense that joy and that sense of belonging that people are inviting you, people want you to be a part of it and you're just, you're hungry for that and you begin to connect and you begin to come in. What a different experience that is. It's two different experiences. If you're like me, I've experienced both. I've walked into rooms where it just seems like no matter what I tried, I couldn't connect, that there was this, this, this unspoken fight going on, and I've walked into rooms like this room. I walked into this room back in 2001, and I immediately sensed the hope of God in that place. There's a word that the Bible uses for this. And there's something that we talk about. And Jesus references this in what is called his farewell prayer. And the word which is my hope for Shoreline Community Church, is the word unity. Everyone say that together. Unity. Unity. Jesus talked about this often to his disciples, and today we're going to be focusing on this as we look at what's referred to as Jesus' farewell prayer. And it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and we're going to focus on verses 21 through 23. Let's follow along together. Again, this is Jesus' farewell prayer to his disciples. Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect, what? Unity. That the world will know that you sent me, And that you love them as much as you love me. I mean, did you notice how many times through this it said one and then the word unity? So as we talk about this today in Jesus' farewell prayer, and this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul even prayed over all of his churches. Why don't we start by defining what is unity? What are we talking about when we talk about unity? Well, as we just saw in the prayer of Jesus, when we talk about unity and when we see it mentioned in the Bible, the word that is often used to describe it is the word one. Right? Jesus said, I pray that you are one. See, that's the same language, the same word that is often used in other areas where unity is so important. And one of the big illustrations that God gives is, is the word one as he uses to describe marriage. One is the word that, that, that back in Genesis 2, when God says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. One is also the word that Jesus uses to describe his relationship with God here in his farewell prayer. And he also says it in John 10, 30, when he says, the Father and I, we are one. 
Well, see, when Jesus, when he uses this word one, here's what it means. What Jesus is saying is that unity, when we come together in this way, it means that now you are complete, you are lacking nothing. See, what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about this need that we have for each other. See, if I'm not complete by myself, that's the biggest duh out there. I'm not complete by myself. If I live my life alone, if I live my life in isolation, I will never be complete, lacking nothing, which is the goal that Jesus has. If, if I'm walking by myself, if I'm, if I'm living just for myself, if I'm only making decisions by myself, for myself, the Bible describes me as somebody who is incomplete. And then especially as a follower of Christ, we know that Christianity, it's not a solo sport. There's no biblical evidence to support that you can be a Christian without this connection. And that may just be a mind-blowing statement for you. But when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at his disciples, we see that Jesus, he continually spoke of following Christ, of being Christian, which means that you're like Christ. Christian was a name that was given to those who they knew what Jesus was like and they saw somebody else and they said they are like Christ, meaning they're like Christian. This is done in community. Even when the Bible talks about the Trinity, right, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it uses the word one, distinct, but one. See, every believer is distinct. We're all made different, but yet we are one. I love the psalm when it says 139. This is the psalm that I, I prayed over all of my kids when they were born. It says that we are uniquely and wonderfully made, but then Galatians 3, we are all one in Christ. And I think this distinction is important because being one doesn't mean that we are all cookie cutters, right? We're not clones getting off of a Star Wars ship, right? We're all all uniquely and wonderfully made. But when we talk about being one, and more importantly, when the Bible talks about being one, being one means that, first of all, we are one with Christ. That we have surrendered ourselves to Christ and we've received him as our Lord and Savior. Not just believing he's real. Many believe that. But it's a complete surrender, so we're one with Christ. And then that we're one with his body, which is the church. This is the body of Christ. So we're one with Christ, we're one with, his, with the body of Christ, the, the church, but we're also we're one in purpose, meaning that we're actively living out the love of Christ. We're, we're actively working together to build the kingdom of God. We're actively working to reconcile the world back to God. This is the purpose. This is what one means. So it means that we're totally submitted, we're totally surrendered, and we've given it up. And since this aspect of being one is highly relational, I think sometimes we confuse one with dating, right? I mean, I couldn't wait till I got old enough to date. And I'll tell you, I dated way too long. I mean, not too long, too soon. <laughs> too soon. Yeah, edit that part out, Pastor Michael. As a kid growing up, I couldn't wait to date. I couldn't wait, you know, it was because it's very exciting. You want to be with somebody. You want somebody to accept you. And you want all the things that it brings. I mean, we have this strong desire to be with somebody, you know. And in that, we're willing to, willing to put ourselves out there. We're willing to be vulnerable, and we're willing to go on a date. And for me, when I was back in high school, you know, I was reminiscing with somebody who had beautiful long hair. That, that was me in high school, believe it or not. That may take an act of faith. But see, back then, 
In my high school years, right, if you like somebody, you pass a note to them in class, you ask their friend, do they like me, do they do this, and, and you start going through, and you had to kind of put yourself out there and to be vulnerable and say, will you go out with me? And the first person I asked to go out with me, that was the whole relationship right there. It was done, and I never talked to him again. That was my first girlfriend. <laughs> right? You put yourself out. Today, there are so many apps and so many social connection points where, where people are trying to connect. And, and I think they're shielded from that level of embarrassment. They're, I think they're shielded from that aspect of, of rejection to, to, to a certain point. But it's that whole aspect that we want to be with somebody. But dating is not about becoming one. It's not about this, this unity that the Bible talks about because dating is just, it's minimal commitment and, and, you know, we like it. It's fun right now. We can go out and have some fun together. There's excitement to it. But in dating, there's no lifetime commitment. In dating, there's no real surrender. There's, no, there, there's none of this what the Bible talks about mutually submitting towards one another. That's just dating. But I think so many times as it relates to unity and as it relates to what the Lord has for us, as it relates to this, we've confused dating with marriage because marriage is completely different. See, marriage is that picture of oneness because when we talk about getting married, this is the picture of one that Jesus is talking about. Because see, when I had that first, li- that first little girlfriend that I had, I never said I'm going to be with you for better, for worse, and sickness and health and all of that. I mean, she would have screamed. This guy's nuts. But in marriage, that's what I said to Stephanie. I said, Stephanie, I will be with you for better, for worse. Couldn't imagine in that moment that there would be worse, but there's been some worse. I said, Stephanie, I'll be with you in sickness and in health. Praying for health, but we've had sickness. I said, forsaking all others. I made a promise to her not to be distracted, not to be led away by anything or anyone else. And then I entered into a contractual covenant agreement legally. I am with you. You are the only one for me. See, some people think that they are one with Christ, that they're one with the body of Christ, when really they're just dating. It's this casual thing until something else comes along. It's just this, it's more of a placeholder. And we wonder why we're so torn up inside. We wonder why there's so much anxiety inside. It's because we've, we think we have what marriage offers when it's really just dating. I think sometimes we, whether it's intentional or not, we treat Jesus like the date that, well, I couldn't get that, so I'll get this. You're just somebody to hold on until I can find something better or or even the body of Christ, even the local church. And I'll be here until I find something better, until I find a, you know, the bigger, better deal, the bigger, better offer, right? That's not what Jesus prayed for. That's not what he gave his life for. It's not what the apostle Paul laid down. He laid down something totally and completely different. See, when Jesus looked at the body of Christ, he looked at the body of Christ as his bride that he gave up everything for and the power that comes from it and all the benefits that come from it because as I lay that down today, even though there's sickness and there's health, when I'm sick, guess who's there for me? Stephanie. Even though when I had COVID, it meant she just slid a tortilla under the door, you know. (laughs) But she was still there. When I lose my mind at times and I just seem, it seems like the sky is falling, who's there? Stephanie. 
this is what we're talking about. So what does unity look like? What does unity look like? Well, as we continue down this whole marriage line, okay, I, I, I want to tell you first of all, this is not a marriage sermon, but as it relates to unity and as it relates to being one, this is the illustration that we are given. Because when we look at biblical marriage, we see that marriage started off way back in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 2.18, when God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone, Amen. In other words, what God was saying is that we do not flourish by ourselves. See, we've all been made in the image of God. But I do not fully represent who God is. I'm the Dwayne Canadian version of God. She's the Stephanie Texas version of God that now we're in Seattle. But when I meet different people in different parts of the body, they represent other parts. There are gifts that I have, sure, but there are gifts that you have that I don't have. There are things that you're better at that I'm not and vice versa. And all of us, collectively, we all represent who God is. We're all made in his image, but we all have those certain gifts and those certain things that we have. And I love it. I love that part of it. So God looked at Adam, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And it said that, that, he, that he, uh, he made Eve, and he uses this word that I think is, it's an important word to talk about. He uses this word helper in Genesis 2.18. And when we think about the word helper, and this all comes into unity, this all comes into what we're talking about today when Jesus talked about being one. When we hear that word helper, I think it's very different from the original Hebrew word that is used there for this word helper. Because when we think about helper, right, you know, I'm a dad, I had four kids, and I would say, you know, I looked at my kids and say, are you ready to be daddy's little helper today? And so what that would mean is if I had a power tool, I wouldn't let them use the power tool, thank God. But I would say someday, when you're big enough, then you'll get to do this, right? But it was, it was very much this kind of a relationship where I was the expert, I was the one coming in, and this was my helper. This is not what God was talking about when he talked about Eve. Because he uses, uses the word Azar here. And the word Azar, it, it occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. And in two cases, it refers to the first woman, which is Eve in Genesis 2. But three times, it refers to powerful nations that Israel called on to help them when they were besieged. And six, the 16 remaining times, it's the word that it refers to God as our help. That he is the one that comes alongside of us as in our helplessness. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about this word Azar, that it's not this domineering or submissive kind of a thing, but it is this helper. You know, in his book, Man and Woman, One in Christ, I love how Philip Payne puts it this way. He, he says that the noun that is used here, Azar, throughout the Old Testament, does not suggest helper as in servant, but help, savior, rescuer, protector, as in God is our help. In other words, he said there's, there's no occurrence in the Old Testament that, that, does the, that refers to it as an inferior term. See, helper is not a demeaning term, but it's saying that, Adam, you need a helper. You need someone to come alongside of you because we all need this help. And I thank God for that. Because, again, leaning into what we're talking about here with unity, as it relates to the relationship that, that Stephanie and I has, have as we lean into this, it's not this. It is this. There are things that she does better than me. And she tells me there are things I do better than her. But we are one. We are one that we're walking distinct, different. We are one. This is what unity looks like. This is what walking together looks like. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ. 
Because again, God is not saying that everyone should be married. Jesus wasn't married. The Apostle Paul wasn't married. I mean, there's so many wonderful, great leaders. So God wasn't saying that everybody should be married. He's like, no. He said, I'm praying for the body of Christ that you would be one. You would be one. All made in the image of God, but distinct with your own abilities, with your own callings. One's the hand, one's the foot. One is the eye. We all have those different things. What God is telling us is that we need each other. We need each other. And when we do this, we have unity. When we walk in this way, we have unity. So what does unity look like? What does unity bring? Well, one of the first things that popped into my mind as as I've looked at this and studied this and and looked at so many things, one of the biggest things that unity brings in my life is is that sense of peace. How many are looking for some peace today? Hey, that's right. See, when I walk into a room and there's unity, when I walk into the place where Stephanie is and I sense we have unity, there is a peace that is amazing. When I walk into a place and there's not unity, there's strife, there's guarding, right? There's like, there's like, whoa, what is happening here? How good and pleasant it is when we dwell t- together in unity and praise the Lord. This is what the peace brings. See, so many times we're all stirred up because we're divided, we're uncertain, and there's this anxiousness. And see, when there's a lack of unity and when that peace is disturbed, it makes us vulnerable. Now, there are times that going in that we're anxious that company's a lack of unity, and it's rightfully so, right? It's just like your car. If the battery's low in your car, there should be a bell going off. If the door is open, it should be saying the door is ajar, the door is ajar, right? There should be something going on because you need to fix it. You need to have that. So sometimes there's, it's there because it needs to be addressed. It needs to be taken care of. Because when there's a lack of unity, you will always be vulnerable, so take care of it. Take care of it. But when it's there, I love what even Proverbs 16 7 says, it says that when your ways please the Lord, when you're walking, when you've done all that you know to do to walk in unity. Proverbs 16 says that he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is the peace that we're talking about. See, storms come, enemies attack, but there's this covering and this protection that comes from being one. So we have this peace. Peace also looks like trust. When we walk in unity, when there's this oneness, Unity brings this trust. And trust is a difficult word for the day that we live in. See, in my lifetime, we are more divided than I've ever experienced. We're divided in areas of government and politics. We're divided more than ever in areas of academics and healthcare, family, and even in the body of Christ globally. Everyone seems to be struggling. And when we look at the generation that's coming up, my heart especially breaks. See, the generation that is coming up has been said to be one of the least trusting generations, again, in my lifetime. And I get it. I get the lack of trust. I mean, you can watch a video and you can see five experts up there talking about the very same thing and five experts coming to five different conclusions that seem to be all over the map. Would that not be confusing to you? (laughs) Would that cause you to go, who do I trust in that? 
But when you step into a place where there's unity, where on purpose, on love, on action, there's this inerrant trust that comes in. And even when you talk to people, especially in this generation where they're looking at experts and they're all, just, they're all disagreeing, who do we often look to? A trusted friend. Someone that we know, well, they've got our back. They seem to be living it out. They seem to be there. See, unity, it brings this credibility where there's this crowd of witnesses that it testifies to the truth and in this place to the validity of God. The world can be a crazy messed up place, but when we can come into a place, a body of believers that we're not perfect, no one's expecting you to be perfect. They know you're not perfect. But when there's unity, when we're working together, when we're trying our best to go forward, it is a powerful force and it builds trust. There's credibility. One of the greatest things that I love about this place is that we have people who have been at Shoreline Community Church for decades. No matter what has happened in the changes of leadership, the things that are going on, they're still here and they're still moving forward. They're still doing missions trips. They're still giving. They're still serving. If there's a leak in a roof, they're still climbing up on a ladder to try to fix it. If there's somebody that needs counseling or needs to be encouraged, they're still going out. If there's someone in trouble, they're still running to them and they're still here. Whether it's a choir or whether it's a band, whether it's tea or coffee, whatever it may be, they're here. There's this commitment to this place because it brings trust, because unity can't be faked. And when I walked in this place, I was here in 2001, I was in D.C. then for seven years, and when I came back, and you walk with people like that, isn't that refreshing? I'm looking at some of you now. brings that unity that we're here we're here we are here it brings that sense of trust and see unity in our lives it brings confidence with all these things with the peace and with the trust the natural outflow of that is confidence unity makes us more confident because I know I can trust you I know we're on the same page together we can walk out See, when the disciples experienced all of this, there was this confidence, this boldness that came through the power of the Holy Spirit and the unity that accompanied it. See, sometimes we lack the confidence that we need because we're divided. I mean, back to the marriage illustration, when Steph and I are walking in unity, we walk in confidence together because we're like, it's going to be okay. When I sit around a table with my leaders and we're walking in unity in something, there's a confidence because we're all walking together. When I walk into this place and I'm sensing a building, there's a confidence that takes place because we're walking together. We're one with God. We're one with the body of Christ. Because see, James describes the opposite of that. James describes that when, when, when someone's not experiencing this, when there's not disunity, in James chapter 1, he describes this as someone who's double-minded. He said, for a person with divided loyalty... Is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. He said, such people should not expect to receive anything from God. He said, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in all they do. This is the opposite of not being one. I mean, it's almost this paralysis by analysis at times, right? Where it's just so many decisions, so many options. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to get out on that. And so we're just like tossed around. When there's a storm raging, the ship that is the most vulnerable is the ship that the engine isn't going anywhere. See, even in the greatest storm, 
when there's unity, when the crew is working together, when the engine is going, you can get through that storm together. Unity brings the peace. It brings the trust. It brings that confidence to go together. But Jesus here in John 17, he points out something else that unity brings, and that's growth. Jesus said in John 17, 23, he said, May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. See, Jesus, he was clearly connecting unity, this oneness, with growth, with this flourishing within the body of Christ. See, we all want to be a part of something that has a sense of purpose, that there's this sense of belonging. This is a natural, amen. This is a natural, natural part of who we are. We want that sense of belonging so bad that if we can't find it, we'll even join bad groups. I mean, that's, when you talk to people who've been in gangs and they've come out of gangs, they talk about how there's this brotherhood that comes together and they know they've got, that someone's got their back at least. We were made to have unity. But when the body of Christ, when the church, when we're unified, the world takes notice. The, the community around us takes notice. I mean, you're covered with peace. There's, there's this trust. I've had people even say, they come in and go, man, trust is real difficult for me, but I, I, see, I see you trusting people, and how do you do that? See, we're hungry for this. The church should be so unified, the body of Christ should be so unified that people come in and they go, what is this? I see fighting and striving everywhere. I see this disunity or I see this Seattle ice where we just kind of pretend everything's okay and we just kind of keep going through it but we don't really acknowledge anything. But when you come in here and you see people, real people doing real life, walking with one another, it makes people come in and go, what is happening? I want to be a part of this. See, when we're, one, when we're one with God and we're one with each other, the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, pours forth from us. All the love and the joy and the peace, the forbearance, the kindness, the goodness, the, the, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. Galatians 5 says, against these things, there is no law. This is what unity does. And this is why Jesus, in his farewell prayer to his disciples, he emphasized the, the importance of this by being unified. And then the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, he prays this. It's one of my favorite prayers of the Apostle Paul. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He said, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. It is powerful. Are you hearing me today? It is powerful. If it's so powerful and it's so contagious and we want it, then why do we struggle with unity? Why, why do we struggle, right? I mean, can't we all just hold hands and sing Kumbaya or 
Bind us together. You know, is that how we get unity? See, I believe that we struggle with it because unity has a cost. Everything's got a cost. Nothing's free. Unity has a cost. And what Jesus was talking about is he was, he was talking about the cost of discipleship, of following Jesus, of surrendering everything, of laying everything down. Because being one is tough. Back to Stephanie. When I made those vows to her, did I have those vows perfect on day one? What's, what's your guess? No. I made a commitment to it, but then I had to grow up in it. I was only 20 years old. I can't imagine. 20 years old. I had, we had 10 years of trying to be one. <laughs> we stayed married. We went beyond the 10 years. But what I can tell you is those first 10 years was a trial by fire. Because here's the thing, unity is not just, we're going to be unified, we're going to be one, we're going to do this, and we're going to come together, and then everything's going to be great. No. Because I had a lot of growing up to do. Your mom and dad told me you had a lot of growing up to do. Because we did. We all do. But this process of becoming one whether it's in marriage or whether it's in relationships or whatever, there's a filing off. The Bible talks about how how iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. There's this effect that goes in place. I mean, some of the closest relationships, some of the most trusting relationships that I have have been relationships where we're talking about real things where, in the beginning, we don't agree on everything. If in all your relationships, it's just, yes, 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 Dwayne, you're wonderful, you need to find some real friends because Dwayne is not all wonderful. I get angry, I get irritated, I get tired, I get down. I need to humble myself, I need to learn to apologize, and I grow and I'm strengthened. We had to refine one another in this. This is the cost of unity. And as the body of Christ, we gather around the word of the Lord and we apply it to our heart and we live it out. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, He's saying, you need to come together, you need to be together, you need to fill the Holy Spirit to guide you, but there's going to be some refining. He's like, for goodness sakes, Peter just chopped off, you know, Peter's going to chop off somebody's ear. He needs some refining. That's not a great discipleship, soul-saving technique. And all the other disciples had their challenges too. Unity is a refining process that takes a commitment, that takes the presence of the Lord in our life, that starts with lordship that's coming in. But throughout scripture, we see this effect to where our love for God is proved in how we love one another. It's easy to say, I love God. I love Jesus. But that's fleshed out in how I love all of you, how I love her, how I love my kids, how I love my neighbor. How I love my enemies. That's where it's refined. That's where we walk with God. That's where we learn all of these things. 
And the cost is I need to give up my life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And that's where people step off. I was, I was with you, God, with the walking on water. I was with you, Jesus, when you, when, when you had all the bread and the fish. I was with you when you turned the water into wine. This is awesome. But when you say I have to give up my life, when you say I have to deny myself, when you say I have to give up myself for that person, that's where I'm stepping off. See, to be one with anything, I have to give up everything. Because again, Jesus, he, Jesus is not looking for a date. He's not looking for a casual relationship. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the great I am. He's the one that raises things from the dead. He's the one that when you have hopelessness in your life, he steps in, Jesus shows up, and new life bursts forth. He's the one that will transform you so much that you may even be like the Apostle Paul, that you're sitting in a prison and that you're, you're being persecuted and you're there falsely. And the walls shake and the doors fling open and you can walk out and you go, wait a minute. I could walk out and escape and say, look what my God did. But I'm going to stay here and look at the jailer and say, are you ready to meet Jesus today? Can you imagine that? That even in the blessings, we go, wait a minute, there might be something more here. Why? One with God. One with his purpose. Willing to lay down your life for the body of Christ, even when they don't understand. It's what Jesus did. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can we forgive people and just say, they don't know what they're doing? Can we forgive one another? They don't know, and just say, they don't know what they're doing? Because in that moment, we are aligning ourselves. We're one with God and we're saying, God, wherever you lead, I'm going to be there. I'm going to trust you. Whatever it means. Because here's the thing. Any believer that does anything less, you will never be happy and fulfilled. You'll never have what Jesus was talking about. Any body of Christ does anything less will never fulfill what God has for them. This is the path. That's why so many fail. That's why I show up every week. I'm like, God, would you unify us around your purpose? Would you unify us around our mission? So that the world would know that you love them as much as God loves you. This is why we show up. This is why growing up, we woke up our kids every day, every, every Sunday, and said, all right, kids, it's time to go to church. <laughs> but dad, it's boring. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we're going to show up. We're going to be there today. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to serve people. We're going to lead somebody to Christ. And we're going to be Faithful. Every week, I'm like, God, would you send someone through those doors that need to know you? God, someone who's walking through the door today, I pray they would find healing. We, we, we pray it every Sunday morning, 9.30.
God, I'm praying for relationships to be reconciled today. God, I'm praying that our neighborhood would know that we're here today. I pray that today that you would show us, you would train us and teach us how we can love our neighbors better. But it takes commitment. It takes faithfulness. That's why we gather. That's why we give. That's why we serve. Because our community needs to know. See, sometimes we struggle with unity because we just don't show up. I was listening to this the CEO that was talking about said, how did you get your start? He said, well, I got my start. I was willing to ask the question. I was never afraid to call somebody and ask. I was never afraid to just show up. I would knock on doors that no one else would knock on from a young age. He said, I found that people kept saying yes. You know, I found the same to be true in just sharing my faith or just walking through or even just being here, just, just showing up and saying, God, would you, Would you meet us here in this place today? Would you unify us in this place today? I came across this quote by Francis Chan this past week. And he said this. He he said, you know, in the church, we divide easily because we live shallowly. shallowly." See, deep calls on to deep. The Lord is calling us. To jump out of the boat and to get on the waves with Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm with you. Whatever happens, I'll commit to you. I'll commit to the body of Christ. I'll commit and find that life to the full. Because I'm telling you, when you experience it, when you get a taste of it, there's nothing like it. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Stand if you can. Holy Spirit, this is a holy moment you've called us to. We seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness to be flowing through us. Because Lord, you said as we do that, then all these things, everything else is taken care of as we place you first and living righteously in alignment with you. Lord, show us what we need to see today. Speak to us what we need to hear today. Amen. As as we respond today, this is a unity message. I want you to ask yourself, is there any area of your life today that you're feeling divided? Is there anything in your life where you're like, man, I'm just, (laughs) I feel at odds. I don't have peace. I don't have trust. I don't, those things sound good, but I'm not having them. You know, one of the, the big question that God asked Adam and has asked every person since then, What did God say to Adam? He said, Adam, where are you? Adam needed to say where he was. That's called confession. So where are you feeling divided today? Is there any area of your faith that's shallow that needs to be deepened? Identify it. Write it down. And then ask yourself, what needs to be changed? In other words, What are you going to do about it? As the Holy Spirit reveals those areas, what are you going to do about it? Is there a cost that you've been willing to that you've been unwilling to pay? Everything has a cost. Where is that? You know, for the disciples, they had to throw down their net. That was their that was their income. That was their living. That was their they're everything. 
Is there a place that God's calling you to show up and step up in a greater way? See, there's a mission that God has for us here. He's calling us. He's leading us. He's providing opportunity. He will empower us. He will strengthen you. He will do. He brings all the growth. But he's like, are you going to be step? When are you going to start planting? When are you going to start watering? When are you going to step out in these ways? It's the greatest opportunity. It's the greatest opportunity. So, Lord, as we respond today, speak to us, oh God. Speak to us. Reveal to us the areas that there's, there's a lack of unity in our lives or where we're divided. Then, Holy Spirit, show us those next steps. I pray that we would have the boldness. You're doing a work. You're preparing us. You're leading. Because before you use a tool, you always sharpen it. You don't swing blunt axes. You sharpen them. You refine them. You perfect them. Do your work in us today. Amen. You know, sensing this morning that uh, in the response, the Bible talks about how when you bring your offering to the Lord, when you're in the act of worship and there's a name that comes to your mind, to leave it there and to go to that person. You know, maybe this for that person that as you're thinking about disunity and whatever that may be, that there's, there's a name that came to your mind. Or maybe a Rolodex came to your mind. <laughs> A Rolodex is a piece of paper that has people's names on it and numbers. <laughs> Your contact list. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you in an action step that you're like, ain't no, 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 no way. <laughs> Can I pray for you right now that the Lord would give you wisdom? Because often in those situations, it's not just showing up and just, you know, start throwing things. Because the Lord may be sending you to, to somebody that you've got to say something, but, and maybe they've got something the Lord's been telling them that they need to say to you. Relationships are both ways. Have, have you ever gone to somebody and thinking that you were going there to make, to make amends and then they had something to make amends, right? This is the work of God because we're all sinners saved by grace, of which Paul said, I'm chief. And I'm like, Paul, I can give you competition for that. Can I pray over you that the Lord would give you boldness and give you wisdom? Because there's a process. There are things that Jesus just kind of ripped the band-aid off and there's things that he kind of came in and he poured in the ointment and he just, he had to soften it up a little bit, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to you and leading you. That's how we walk as believers, with the wisdom of God, with the power of God, with the strengthening. So Lord, I pray for that person today that maybe you gave them a name or a situation or something and you're calling them to go forward and they are scared or frustrated. Or maybe we've even given up. We've lost that hope. Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that hope would arise. That you would give them wisdom. You would give them strength. And God, that you would give them patience. Your word says that those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And so in that, it's not inactivity, but it's a patience. Not just to come in and check a box off on our list. But Lord, to step in and be available to you. Help us. Give us Faith without works is dead, but we want to do your work, that good work. Unify us, I pray. Lord, we recognize that we are building things eternal. And God, I thank you for Pastor Isabel. 
I thank you for her heart for you. Lord, I thank you for uh, her obedience and her faith to trust in you. And God, so I'm praying, Lord, that as she goes, she would know that we are with her. There's a crowd of witnesses cheering for her, praying over her, encouraging her. And God, that as she walks, she would walk in the anointing that comes as we walk in obedience with you, for you. God, that you would lead her, guide her, that wherever she goes, she would experience your presence alive in her life. In Jesus' name, and we pray for the ministry here, the children's ministry, God, that is yours, that you care about, that you love so deeply. Lord, help us to see who that next person is. And in this, in this time, Lord, that you would bless and strengthen all of our leaders. And God, that we would even have new leaders that would step up. That the children in this neighborhood would know there's a God who made them and loves them and is calling them to him. I pray in your wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we lead today, this is our benediction. Can we say this together? May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.